Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Once again, thank you for joining us today at Calvary. Uh, Again, I welcome those who are joining us online. I'm glad that you have taken the time to be with us today. As we move into this particular topic, we're, we're actually looking at it today from this idea, and it goes kind of with the song that we've already heard. And the point is, coming to the Father's house. It's actually an invitation to come to the house of the Father. And, and we want to see what that means to us, what that looks like for us, because in, in essence, if we were saying that, then the question would have to be, so why? Why would I even want that? What would be interested in that? What would be the significance? If I'm saying, come to the Father's house, what do I mean by that? What is, what is so important? Why would that be something that I would want in my life? I, I want to share, I guess, in a very simple terms, what we're talking about. And, and this is going to be fleshed out over the next several weeks. But we talk about the Father's house we're going to talk about this, these basic ideas that when we come to the Father's house, we're going to find that it's a place where fear is replaced by, by peace. We're going to find it's a place where uh, uncertainty and despair uh, is, is moved out by, by hope, by, by confidence. It's where shame is banished and in its place come forgiveness and and we, we find esteem and even, even respect. It's a place where bondage is replaced by, by freedom. In the Father's house, we're going to find a place where loneliness is settled because all of us have experienced in life, uh, you know, relationships, family, friends that haven't worked out and we've been abandoned, we've been forsaken. But in the Father's house, we're going to find that he will never leave us or forsake us. And that there is nothing on earth or anywhere else that could ever separate us from his love. That's why we want to come to the Father's house. And that's how important it is that we understand that. So today, we're going to kind of introduce that, that idea and move through these next few weeks explaining that. But the question then would be, so how do I, how do, I do that? How do I come to the Father's house? That sounds like a great, a great idea, but who, who gets there? How do, how do I get in the door? And if I come to the door, is anybody going to open it for me? How do we actually get into the, the Father's house? Let me start with this question. It's a question that you've probably heard before in some form or fashion, and so it's not new, but just think about it for a moment. The question we're going to answer for, for just this few seconds is this. Who is God? And I promise you, the answer to that question is going to affect what the, the impact of the Father's house will have in your life. Who is God? And the, the issue is, there's going to be a lot of answers to that question. Uh, a lot of people have ideas, have opinions, uh, maybe based on where they've come from, what they've learned, uh, some religious process. They have ideas of God, and many of the ideas uh, have, have this grand grand. Uh, a picture in front of it, but they may actually be inaccurate. And what we understand is if we're going to understand the Father's house, we have to have a, an accurate view of who the Father is, who God is, right? Because if we have a skewed picture of God, a skewed image of God for whatever reason, then that's going to affect how we relate to him or how we even understand this, this idea. We're getting it. We've got to have an accurate picture of God. And here's what we understand from Scripture. 
we understand that there is an, uh, an overall image that God seems to point to over and over, in fact, most repeatedly in the scriptures. I'm reading a book called Not Forsaken by Louis Giglio. And in this book, he, he begins to lay out this, this concept that there is an image. It's not the only image of God, but the way that it's presented in scripture, it probably is, you could say it's the key image of God or the, the principle, the, the main image of God because of the way it's repeated over and over in so many different aspects. The chief image, if you would. Um, and here's what we know from scripture. If you were to answer that question, who is God? You're going to find answers like God is God is eternal. God is almighty. God is faithful. God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is love. God is light. God is eternal in his existence. God is almighty. He's merciful. He is the great I am. All those words are accurate descriptions. They're right from the scriptures. They're things that we know a part of who God is But we also understand that there is one image, though these are all true and more, there's one image that is not only seen more often, but it it seems to kind of uh, wrap its arms around all of these images to give us a picture. And here's the thought. The number one image of God that Jesus draws is God is a father. Jesus, in his work and his walk in life, the way that he related to God as a father, and the things that he taught his followers, all point back to this repeated image that God is a father. Now, he was saying God is majestic, he's glorious, he's full of grace and truth. Yes, all of those things, but they all can be wrapped up in this, or or looked at through the context of God being the Father. Just to give you an idea. If you go through the scriptures, you'll find that this perhaps is God's favorite description of himself. In the New Testament alone, over 260 times, God is described as the Father. In the Gospels, just the four opening books of the New Testament, over 189 times God is referred to as the Father. In the book of John alone, it's 120 times. Jesus, in his speaking, Jesus, in his acting, gives us, in in the way that he worked on this earth, he gives us this understanding that God is a Father. In fact, the first words we have recorded of Jesus... Luke chapter number two, he's a, he's a 12-year-old boy, but here's his, his opening statement. Didn't you know I had to be in my, somebody tell me, father's house? All right, that's interesting. That's the first words out of Jesus talk about the father's house. And the last words that Jesus speaks while he's on the cross, as he's taking his final breaths in Luke chapter 23, he says this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or literally, Father, I place my life in your hands, and then he breathed his last. The opening words of Jesus talk about the Father. The last words of Jesus on the cross talk about the Father. And all in between, and how Jesus interacted and what he taught, take us to the teaching of the Father. In fact, one of his most famous teaching uh, moments is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, several chapters in Matthew and Luke. And in that teaching, he tells us a lot of things But right in the middle, as he's called his disciples around them, he's going to teach them how to pray. And if you're familiar with it, Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 9, he's going to tell them to to begin their prayer in what would then be an unbelievable way. It's not when you come to prayer, he didn't tell them to, to say, oh, dear sir, or majesty, or holy Lord. All those things would have been appropriate. But do you remember how he started that prayer? Somebody help me. Our Father. 
And it wasn't just any father, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He shows the respect. We, we're still understand God is as almighty who he is. He is the God of heaven, but he gives us this, this opportunity, this word, this, this intimate word of Father, as we address God, most scholars would agree uh, that what Jesus was using there and what he used most often in talking about the Father in his teaching was a word Jesus would have probably spoken in Aramaic language. And the word for Father that he would have used would have been the word Abba. We would pronounce, we would spell it A-B-B-A, right? And the closest uh, we have for Abba in the English language is Daddy. The idea of that intimate, that just it's not just father, it's, it's dad. Last night I was sitting in my backyard and our neighbors were having a pool party or something. And I, poor dad was just, it's dad, dad. Hey, daddy. Dad. I saw him sneaking out trying to get away, I think at one point, but that's a whole nother. That dad, there's something special. That's something that you have this intimate relationship. And that's the word Jesus offers to us to come to the father. Okay. So you say, well, I don't, that doesn't make a whole lot. We, we're used to that. Religion over the years has made Father just part of what we do. You know, talking to God as Father is not unusual to us. But it was revolutionary in the day of Jesus' teaching. They wouldn't say that word. To refer to God as Abba, Father? Unthinkable. In fact, one New Testament scholar put it this way. This was a homely family word. No Jew would dare address God in this way. But what Jesus is doing is he's empowering his disciples then and now to speak with their father in this familiar, trusting manner. Our Abba, our Father. That's incredible what Jesus is offering and teaching his disciples to do. And if you keep going in the book of John, you'll find that Jesus gives us a kind of a clear explanation of what his relationship was and how that then relates to those as followers. John chapter 14, and opening, the opening words in this chapter, verse 2 specifically, and some of you will recognize this verse, in my, where are we at again? Father's house are many, and your translation may say mansions, might say many rooms, many dwelling places. I think the essence is caught in this a paraphrase where it says, there is plenty of room for you in my father's house. Man, I like that. That's a great way to put that. There is room for you in the father's house. So now he's talking about the father's house, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But then if you move on down to verse number six, he then makes another incredible statement. Jesus answered, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Then in verse 9, he says, don't you know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, there's a couple of really big thoughts in there. One is, if you want to get an idea of what the Father is like, what God our Father is like, then look at Jesus. He, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was, he was giving us a perfect picture of understanding the Father by looking at him. But I also want to make sure we catch right in the middle what that tells us, something this is just, this is a critical detail, that not everyone can come into the Father's house. Do you notice how Jesus says that? No one comes to the Father except through me. You can only come to the Father's house if you come through the Son. 
that he makes this incredible statement that we, we have to understand if we're talking about the Father's house, how do I get there? The ability to refer to God as our Father and find the Father's house as our home reminds us of this, and I put it in this phrase. It's on your outline. We are welcome to the Father's house because of a relationship with the owner of the house. You come to the Father's house because he is your Father. The reason that you have the ability to come to the Father's house is if you are one of his children, which begs the question then, so who can call God their Father? Who is that who has that opportunity or that privilege, that ability to refer to God as Father? Here's what I think the Bible is going to show us. It's very simple. It's a, it's a unique position. It's not a position enjoyed by all. It's only enjoyed by those who, as Jesus said, have come to the family through the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I say that knowing that someone, maybe listening, watching, someone even in this room, would, would disagree with that. Because we're all God's children. God is the Father of us all. That's what we would want to understand. And, and they would even use some verses. Let me share a couple that they might, they might point to. Malachi chapter number 2, it says, Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Paul talks about it in Acts 27. He's speaking to some philosophers in Greece, and he says, Even some of your own poets have said we are all God's offspring. So the fact that they're saying we all come from God, is that, but, but you got to understand what God's fatherhood for believers and unbelievers is two different categories. For an unbeliever, that one without Christ, the fatherhood of God is simply as their creator, as one who gave them breath, one who molded them and put them on the earth. That is the originator of their life. That's how an unbeliever knows the fatherhood of God. But the fatherhood that Jesus is talking about and referring to him as, as Abba is a, is a distinction given to those who have, as Jesus said, come to the Father through the Son. In fact, spiritually speaking, Jesus makes it clear that unbelievers actually have an, a different father. In one of his most scathing kind of rebukes of, his, of those who are disputing with him, Jesus makes this statement in John 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. Wow. <laughs> you know, take the gloves off, Jesus. That was a tough one right there, right? That's a soap, but it's a sobering reality that the, the way the Bible said that spiritually, you have one of two fathers. Your father is either father God or your father is the devil. It comes down to this understanding that to come to the Father's house, to be considered a child of God, is a distinctive, I would say even exclusive privilege for those who have come to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, all that being said, if you look at John's later writings in the letter, which actually Dolly read earlier, 1 John 3, 1, listen how John says it. Listen to the tone of his voice. See what a great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You, you almost hear him, he's overwhelmed by this. Can you imagine that pole of ice cream, how much God has lavished on us that he would call us children of God? That I could be not just calling my creator, but I could actually call him my father, that I would be considered his child. That's just amazing. But he also told us in John chapter 1, 12, how that happens. He says, verse 12, to all who believed in him 
and accepted him, he, that's Christ, gave the, look at this, the right to become children of God, a birth that comes from God. You see, there's a distinction. It's those who come to God have received that, that gift or in Christ that can then receive him as father, can speak to him as father because they're his children. That's a birth that he gives them, not something they have, they have got from birth a, a, into this world. It's a, it's a, we call it the second birth given by God to those who have received the Son. So today I want us to talk about those who can know that they're in the Father's house, how and, and how important that is as we introduce this, this thought today. There's three incredible thoughts I want you to talk about the Father's house, and hopefully you remember them as we go through. First one is this. The Father's house is open to all of his children. You might mark down the word access. That's, that's an incredible part. The fact that if, if I want to know about this Father's house, how, how do I have access there? And like I said earlier, how do I know if I ring the doorbell that anyone's going to open it for me? How do I know that that's there? It's what we understand is if you're one of God's children, you have complete access to the Father's house. Here's the second word I'd tell you to jot down, and that's the word adoption. The key to all this is a word that, that the, the Scriptures give us a picture of what, how this works, and that's the word adoption. When you come to Christ... We, we understand you receive a few things. One is you receive forgiveness of your sins. Incredible. The, the slate is wiped clean. You also receive eternal life. But one other thing you've got to remember that when we come to Christ, he also, God the Father, adopts us into his family. And that's the word that God chooses to use. Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, somebody tell me, Adoption. The spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, and here's our word, Abba Father. We can cry out to him as daddy when we have been adopted into the family. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Man, it's an incredible thing to think about that when I come to Christ, he not only clears my name, he cleanses my name, he actually gives me his name. I then become one of his children. I then now can call him my father because I have been adopted into his family. And adoption is just what you think it would be. By definition, adoption is when someone chooses intentionally to bring, and to bring someone into their family, into their household, give them full rights and privileges as a child, but they didn't start out that way. They, they, they didn't start out with the nature of the family, but they're brought in on purpose. And that's what God has done for us. We didn't start out. We started off as sinners separated from a God with our father being the devil. But through Jesus Christ, he brings us by his choice, his intention into his family. For those of you that have been a part of adoption, either you've been adopted or you parents and you've adopted, you'll understand this concept more than the rest of us, perhaps, that this word adoption is so it, it, in some sense, it'll change, but in some sense or another, it has to do with a, a search, a seeking, someone going after, that there, there's this intention of saying, I, I want and I'm going to pursue that child, and ultimately then making a decision to take responsibility for that child, knowing even what's behind. What an incredible picture of what God has done when he adopts us. Max Lucado said it this way, and I, I love the way he puts it. If anybody understands God's love for his children, 
It's someone who has rescued an orphan from despair. For that is what God has done for us. God has adopted you. God sought you. God found you. He signed the papers and he took you home. That's what adoption is. I love that. That God knew you. He went after you. He looked for you. Then he brings you to his house. Why would adoptive parents go through that? Why would they choose a person to adopt and make that conscious decision? But greater than, why would God want me? Why would God choose you? Listen to this verse and just kind of relish in what, how, he, how he answers that question. Ephesians 1, even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before you ever thought of, God already loved you. Look at the next phrase. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And look at this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Why did God choose you? I don't know. Why did he choose me? I can't answer it, but he wanted to. It was his pleasure to adopt us. That's what God's desire was to come after us. So, you know, if if you've ever thought this, wipe this one out. He didn't choose you because you're so good looking. I know you are, but that's not why he chose you, or that you had something to offer him. God chose you knowing how ornery you were going to be. God chose you knowing some of the trouble that you would cause him. And God chose you knowing how much it would cost to adopt you. God chose us. That's adoption. That's the incredible truth of how we are able in the Father's house is we have been, we have been sought and, and pursued by, by the adoption of Jesus, by the adoption that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, some in this room, some watching online would maybe, maybe have some problems with that because you're going to say, okay, that sounds so good, but, you know, what's the catch? You know, what, where, what's the fine print? Nothing is that free. Uh, probably God may take me in, but as soon as I make a mistake, I'm out of there, right? I mean, it's, there's got to be a, there's got to be something behind this. Some of us also would have a little trouble, even with what we're, the topic we're talking about today, because you know people who are better at making, at making promises than keeping them. So when God talks about all this stuff, it, it sounds good, and some of them might have the name Father attached to them. Even the fact that we're using this title, Father's House, for some people probably has immediately said, I don't particularly like this because I don't have a good example of a father. What we're going to learn over the weeks is that, that God wants fathers to be an example of him, but there, none of, there's not a perfect father in this room or in this world other than our Father, God, a perfect Father, a Father who will never leave, a Father who is not subject to his whims of his mood and being judged, judged and having a bad day. God is the perfect Father, and he loves us, and he has a plan for you, and he wants to adopt you into his family. That's what, we're ta- that's what this, this adoption is all about. But what even takes it to me to another level, and we've already alluded to it, but let me think about this, is not just the adoption, but how that adoption happened. What had to happen for you to be adopted into God's family? Galatians chapter 4 gives us the answer to that query. He says, 
in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, look at this, to redeem those who were under the law so that they may receive the adoption as sons. How do I get adopted? How did I get adopted into God's family? How can you come to the Father's house as an adopted child? It's because you were, and and here's the, the phrase that we'll talk about, access to the Father's house at adoption is granted through one special biblical word, and that's redemption. God redeemed you. God God paid a price for you, for you to be adopted. And he says it very clearly here. God sent forth his son. His son Jesus was given so that you could be adopted as one of his children. We, we read the verse earlier. Many of you quoted it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's a great verse, but don't miss what that means. God gave his son. God sent his son. But it wasn't just he sent him in the world to say, Ha, I'm here. He sent his son to live and to die for us, to take our sins on a cross for us. Because here was the problem. Each one of us stands here, if we were to stand on our own before the judgment of God, we are guilty. We have, we have sinned, we have been rebellious, we have made mistakes, we stand guilty. But here's a quote that I don't want you to miss. I heard it this week and it just grabbed my attention. Because of God's justice, God can't dismiss our sin. But because of God's love, God can't dismiss you. God loves you so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price. So what did he do? He punished himself by sending his son to die for your sins so that he could redeem you, so he could purchase you. And then God's justice and love are equally fulfilled because he gave his life so that you and I could be Free. In fact, Ephesians 1 7, in him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption came through the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. Redemption literally means a, a ransom that was paid to liberate, right? That's, that's a, a simple definition. And 1 Timothy tells us about Jesus that Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. The price that was paid so that you and I could be adopted was the death and the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it cost for us to be able to be a part of God's family, God's house, his children. And his death once and for all proves how much he loves you. If you ever question, I wonder if God really loves me, there's one proof that he gave that will never go away, and that is he gave his son. But think about this. Let's say that you are a part of that, his children. And if he's gone to all that trouble to send his son for you, don't you think then with all that he's invested then that he's going to do all he can as a father to care for you? Here's how Romans 8 put it. Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He paid the ultimate price to adopt you, and he will do whatever it takes to be the father that you need, the the perfect father. That's the love of being a part of God's children. But before we leave here, I want to point out one other word that's critical. Go back to the verses we just looked at for a minute. Galatians chapter 4, there's a little word that comes before adoption. I want you to see that. God sent forth his son to redeem so that we might 
Say that with me. Receive adoption as sons. If you go to Romans chapter 8, verse we looked at earlier, you have, there's our word again, receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption is what God provides for us through the death of his son. That is is an invitation, an offer for us to be part of his his family, to be his children. But there's there's something that he has said, and he said it also in John that we already read, and that is this gift must be received. Now, understand, Paul could have said, you know, how have you earned the adoption of sons? But that would make no sense. That's not how adoption works. You don't get adopted because you, you've done something that has, has merited what, what they, the person to come to you. It's not what you have done or what they see in you. It's they, they chose. The parents are the ones that are active in this. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive. Adoption is something, not something you achieve. It's something that's given to you and you receive it. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is not something you earn or you'll ever deserve, but it is something that you receive and it must be received. I've had so many people say to me, oh, I've, all, I've believed in God all of my life. I've gone to church and, and I don't doubt that. I know you have a great knowledge of God, but the question is this, have you ever received the gift of adoption through Jesus Christ? Has there been a point in your life when you recognized that as a sinner you were separated from the Father and you needed his sacrifice and you said, God, forgive me, I receive your gift. Have you received the gift of adoption? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? It's not something you earn, but it is something that you must receive. But it's also good to know that you don't get this gift because you're all that in a bag of chips. Your performance does not bring you adoption, which also means when you're not perfect, it doesn't take away your adoption. Does that make sense? As, as, hard, as important as it is to know that I can't work to get there, I also know that I'm not going to be perfect enough to keep it if that's what it takes. That's where we come to our last thought for today. And that is this. Once you're in the Father's house, you're forever family. So, I, I don't know if I heard, which I heard first, but I remembered an old Olive Garden cliche. Remember that? When you're here, you're family. Remember that, right? Think about that as the Father's house. When you're here, you're family. And that's never going to change. That door is open for all of his children, and that will be your, your privilege from now throughout eternity. When you're here, you're, you're forever family. Let's go back one more time to that passage in 1 John. I want to just look at it again. The the verse we've already read where he says how great love the Father has lavished on us, that we can be called the children of God. Incredible. We're going to talk more about just how deep and what that love looks like in the next couple weeks. But we stop there. Let me keep going. Look at the next phrase. You can be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Very very statement of fact. We're called children of God, and that's because that's what we are. He goes on to say, dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Again, we're going to dive into this more in the weeks to come, but let me give you just a couple of thoughts as we, as we just start this idea of the Father. The first being this, that being a child of God is our identity. That's who you are. A lot of us find our identity in a lot of things. Maybe what we do or what we can do, our abilities, or 
maybe what, uh, what we've been told about our, others have said, uh, us, and that sometimes is bad or good, but we grab our identities. Maybe in a role that you play, you're a mom or a dad or a boss or whatever. That's where we often find our identity. But here God takes it to another level. Your identity, your core identity, and again, a quote that I love, your, your core identity is birthed. It's not built. Your core identity is who, who you are because you're a child of God. If you've received Christ as Savior, you now and forever are a child of God, the King, the maker of the universe. You're his child from now and forever. You're forever part. That's your identity. Think, think about the worth and think about the, the image of the fact that I am ch- a child of God. That becomes our identity now and forever. But that verse also tells us that being a child of God is our future. Do you notice that he talks about the future in the sense of, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I do know this, that ultimately my future's secure. I will see Jesus. I will be like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in a few days or years to come, but I know between point A and B, I'm not sure, but I know at some point, I know because I'm a child of God, I know where my future is. I know where my security lies. It's in who I am. I'm a part of the Father's house, and that will never change. We, we're, we face all kinds of, of things in our life that we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. We don't know what the future is. We don't know how things are going to change on a daily basis. You don't know that, but if you're a child of God, there's one thing you can take to the bank. I know I will see Jesus. I know I am in the Father's house. I know I'm a part of his family. I'm a child of God. That's my future. That's what I have to, to always count on. So let me summarize it this way. Right now, you can live as a dearly loved son or daughter of God. The Father's house comes down to that. You can right now live. Does that mean that when I die, I go to heaven? Absolutely, if you're a child of God. Absolutely. But I'm not talking just about heaven. I'm talking about right now. Right now, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. I, I want to challenge you. Let's just say that together. I am a child of God. Would you say it again? I am a child of God. Those of you online with this, say it with this. I am a child of God. Right now, if you know Christ, you are a child of God. And you can live that way. That means that should affect the way that you face the things of the future. Because I don't get them all, but I know I'm a child of God. That's never going to change. So I can handle this. We can get, God will get me through this. And I know where I'm going. I'm a child of God. Right now I can live that way. And it also means it may affect some of my actions and my decisions. Because I'm now a child of God. I have a, I have a way that he wants me to live. I am a child of God. And I can live that way right now. So this morning... God is a father. That's the image that Jesus paints for us. God wants to be your Abba, your father, your your, intimate relationship. God desires that. That's what Jesus taught. That's the image that he painted. But my prayer, my question, my, my inquiry for you is, do you know God as your father? Are you a beyond a doubt sure that you are a child of God? Has there been a point when you came to that knowledge of knowing Christ, not because of just what you know in your head, but 
in your heart you receive that gift of salvation, that adoption? Do you know you are a child of God? If not, then today's invitation is for you. Come to the Father's house. He sent his son to die for you, offers you an opportunity to receive that gift. Would you do that today? You can call out from your heart and say, God, I, as a sinner, I know I don't deserve this, but I believe you died because you love me, and I want to receive that gift of eternal life. Would you do that today? Or maybe if you are a child of God, that's settled in your heart, and this is just Hopefully, this has just been a reminder, an encouragement, a a refresher. And you go out of here saying, I am a child of God. And whatever I face this week, maybe that would be the way you start every morning as you just begin with that simple phrase before you even hit your foot hits the floor. I'm a child of God. That's now the true today, and it will be all throughout this day. I am a child of God. Maybe that even helps you as you live and as you you struggle with identity or whatever it is in your life. I'm a child of God. How do I live that truth in a real way this week in my life? Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you just to consider what we've talked about. Consider that, that wonderful truth that we can come to the Father's house. There's an invitation for you. But that invitation says you can come as long as you come through the Son, Jesus Christ. Have you come through Jesus? Do you know Christ is your Savior? If not, even in the quietness of this moment, would you just cry out to him and say, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it, but I believe you will save me if I ask. Please, I want to be adopted as one of your children and follow you with my life. And Christians, I I want you just say that in your mind over and over. I'm a child of God. What does that look like? What do you need to be encouraged by with that statement? Let me start off by praying for you today. Father, I thank you for what you've taught us. I thank you that there is a wonderful, amazing truth that a Father's house that just brings all the things that we know our soul needs. But Father, that privilege comes through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you for offering us that invitation, for providing that redemption for us. And I'm praying if there's one in this room that has not yet received that gift of adoption, if there's one listening online that has yet to know Christ personally and receive that gift, that today, right now, they would call out to you and receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would just wrap your fatherly arms around your children today. Let them feel your presence even whenever the world is going nuts and crazy around them. They'll know I'm a child of God. They'll find security. They'll find peace. They'll find hope. They'll know who they are and where they're going with the reality that they're your child today. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Help them to walk in the way that you want them to walk as your children today. 